Welcome to Beyond the Pink Cloud, the podcast where we talk about moving forward in our lives through recovery and navigating the world with grace, ease, and humor. We've got tools and strategies from the experts to help you live with less stress and increased ease. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Pink Cloud. This is your host, Dr. Alice Kirby. This is a great episode coming up with Jen Butler, who is a very unique and systematic approach to living and um, working with stress. And I'm purposefully not saying stress management because what she does in our conversation goes so much deeper than just simply managing stress. So if you are a person that has stress, has anxiety, and wants to get more education, tools, and information on new ways to live, this is a great episode. Her approach is very different than mine, but I also relate to it so much. And she's a lovely human. It was wonderful to make the connection. So I think you will enjoy the episode. Thank you so much for being here. Let's see, coming up, there's going to be a really cool uh, guest speaker in the Facebook group this week on Thursday around food and nutrition, Miss Lindsay Beveridge. She works with nutrition and recovery. So if you'd like to be part of that interview live where you can ask live questions and you know, see us in real time as we go through the interview, please come join the Self-Love Project Facebook group. And that'll happen Thursday morning at 11.45 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And if you're in the UK, I know you didn't change clocks over there. I've run into some trouble this week with some of my clients because of that. So um, just make sure you check your time zones, particularly if you are not in the US or if you're in a place that doesn't change time, because we did, we did do that here Also coming up in the next few weeks, I'm going to host another pretty large uh, online training, free training, free webinar class around embracing and coming into our inner wild and working with bringing our nervous system and and our lives, really our internal structures into more of a state of balance in ways that we can do that. I'll have more information on that for you soon, but that will be coming up in a few weeks. So I hope you can attend. I'm putting, I'm doing the early mention of it uh, so that you know it's coming. And I'm excited about it. I, I'm going through my advanced level uh, somatic experiencing training right now. It was last weekend and it'll be this weekend. And the more I study and deepen my understanding of this work, it it just continues to almost overwhelming for me in, in how beautiful it is and how much it it works and how much it can really change lives. And I certainly know that it's changed mine and I feel quite privileged to be able to work with my clients and see the changes that occur in them through working with the system. So the, um, the free class that's coming up, we're going to touch into some of those techniques that, that really are helpful. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening. Please, uh, please like the show, please subscribe. You can always leave a review. That means a lot to me and, and it really does help the show to grow. So we're continuing to get the, the message and all the information from our, our wonderful guest experts out into the world. With that, I wish you a wonderful day and please enjoy the episode with Jen. Hi, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Beyond the Pink Cloud. This is your host, Dr. Alice Kirby. Um, with me today, I have Ms. Jen Butler. She is the CEO and founder of JB Partners. She has a master of education degree. She is board certified as a coach. 
And she brings to her business a fresh perspective and more than 30 years of experience to business coaching. She's a diplomat of the American Institute of Stress, and she created something called the Smart Club that addresses the 11 stepping stones to stress management and resilience training so every team member can get back to enjoying their work and businesses reap the financial benefits of success. Jen, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Wonderful. So I'm really fascinated with what you've put together as far as the the SMART Club. And I know that stands for Stress Management and Resilience Training. Could you just tell me a little bit about what all goes into that? What is the SMART Club? How does it work? So the SMART Club, SMART is an acronym, first of all, that stands for Stress Management and Resilience Training. So we help people, we say we help people get smart. And we do that by helping them remove the BS excuses and bring them to holy shit moments. Excuse hmm. that. You can bleep that out. But uh, okay. you can <laughs> curse on this podcast. That's our tagline. And, uh, and so in working in the area of stress management for 35 years, I've really identified, and in business, I've identified 11 very specific categories that I find uh, tr- that people stress out the most, you know, that stress people out the most, mm-hmm. uh, adapting to change, communication, decision-making, uh, you're going to be testing me, um, uh, <laughs> mindfulness, leadership, problem-solving, team synergy, time management, others. So what we've done is created a one-stop resource center for people with having both uh, personal stress, but especially people under workplace stress. That is an, that is an area of stress management that in the business world, and regardless of the industry, I've worked in across lots of different industries from healthcare to education, to gig industry, to, uh, private practice industries and so on and so forth. And they're all the same. The the stress triggers might be specifically different, but the stress situations are still the same, like team members or scheduling or time management issues, right? That that knows no boundary to to the industry. So um, when it comes to workplace stress, there's really no one place for employees, managers, all the way up to CEOs to go to, to get the right information, to get activities, tools, resources, workbooks, courses. Um, and we have it all on the, on the smart club membership. That's wonderful. I think you're right. There isn't one place. I like that you talked about, especially people in all aspects of the company, whether it's a big company or a small company where everyone can go and have the same resources. And I, I feel like there's a benefit there too, within having a common language amongst all of the people of that company when stressful situations do come up. So, so there can be better communication. Have you found that as well to be something that people like about the smart club? Absolutely. It's about creating, uh, we call it a, nom- we say it's a, it's about developing a nomenclature, right? Mm. A common nomenclature, a common language, a common culture, a common mindset where people can dialogue around stress, which they do anyway, but they typically do it on the way of bitching, moaning, complaining, right? That's how people gather around the area of stress and anxiety is, is to vent. So it comes from that negative place. We want to provide workplace individuals, again, from the uh, 
front facing person all the way up to the executive facing person or the board, the boardroom facing person. We want to give them the same common language and tools to use for stress because stress is so unique. Let me rephrase. Stress triggers are so unique and our perception of that stress is unique, but the coping methods in which we use to reduce stress does not necessarily have to be so unique that no one else can use it, right? Everyone can use the same uh, coping method, but tailor it in such a way that it addresses their unique needs. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. I think that was actually really well put. Um, do you have set ways that you find, because I know you, you mentioned a few times that the triggers themselves may be more individualistic. Like when you work with individuals or company-wide for just identifying what triggers even are, I, I, in my work with stress, I find that sometimes that's even just part of figuring out the puzzle is like, well, what's, when do you notice that the next thing, you know, you're, you know, a level 10 and through the roof and seeing red, or you're curled up in a ball or you have to cancel a meeting and go home, um, what kind of methods do you find most effective for helping people or helping companies to identify what the triggers actually are as because they are very unique or they can be? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a very specific three-step program that we funnel everybody through. And it's exactly, I talk about this to everyone. It's the no assess, reduce your stress. And, And I actually chant it for people no assess, reduce your stress, because that is the formula to, to actually being able to reduce stress, regardless of the stressor, the stress trigger, stress situation, stress event, or the person experiencing the stress. You first, like you said, you have to be aware, you have to know that you even are experiencing stress. And then, okay, so people can, some people know they're experiencing stress by the way that they, their body reacts, they're sweating, right? But they're getting ready to go on stage. So the, so they recognize that but sometimes stress can be so, um, entrenched in cultures, mm-hmm. uh, entrenched in industries. Like I work a lot with doctors and so it's almost passed down from one generation of doctors to another to say, Being a doctor is stressful, period. End of story. It's a truth. It's a fact. When that is not true, it is not, nothing is inherently stressful. But when older generations or seasoned people experience stress and their mindset is around that, then they they pass that perspective on down through the generations or down through the organizational chart. So when people know, their stress, what what kind of stress they are under. And we talk about the three different types of stress. We keep things very simple. We really try and keep things to threes. Um, so, or in groups of threes. Um, so they know their stress and the kind of stress they're under. So once you know the kind of stress you're under, then you have to assess your stress because if you are, uh, uh, you know, not uh, high, like if you're on a scale from one to 10, that's really easy to use. And you're about a three, you know, maybe just taking a five minute break and drinking some water is going to help you reduce your stress. But if you're like an eight, nine or 10, you need to open up that toolbox and bring out all the tools and coping methods to help you reduce your stress. (coughs) So once you know, 
once you assess, then and then only can you really start to reduce your stress because you can choose the right coping method for the condition and you can choose as many coping methods as you need to reduce that stress. Too many times I find in speaking with people or uh, when I speak and people come up to me or is that people will say, well, I, I exercise, but yet they have psychological stress. They have situational stress. They have physiological stress. They've got you know all these different kinds of stress, but the only thing that they do is they exercise. Well, that's, that's not, that's like taking Tylenol, you know, for COVID, you, you know, it just is not powerful enough to, to balance out the condition or it's not the right solution for the condition. So. Yeah. And I think it's always beneficial to have multiple tools in our toolbox, you know, and it's just like exercise is great, but so maybe it's sitting meditation or just pausing for a minute and actually touching base with what the heck's happening in your body. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the more tools we can have that we know work well for us, given a, a specific situation, then, you know, we're able to make better choices. I, I completely agree. And not only that, that a lot of times people think that they have, for example, psychological stress, which is 100% self-induced and it takes place solely in the mind. So their coping methods is then to exercise or to uh, socialize with friends or to do a puzzle or maybe something like that. Well, none of those address your mindset. Mm -hmm. Those are great coping tools for other types of stress. But that is not addressing the worry or the guilt or the regret or the the internal negative dialogue that you're having. So I always say to people, if what you're doing isn't working, most of the time I find it's because they are not using the right coping method for the kind of stress that they are putting upon their body. It makes a lot of sense. I love this. Meditation would be great. You know, that, that's giving you time to breathe and, and have some introspective. So that does engage the mind and change the mindset. Yeah. And it's, um, I like that what you were saying before too, about how this idea of stress as an absolute or a fact being passed down. Um, I mean, you mentioned it in, you know, communities, businesses, professions, like the medical profession. Uh, but I think as well, we could even look at sort of intergenerational um, like trauma almost or stress being passed down or, or even for like women, you know, having periods is, is stressful and this hard, horrible thing we have to go through. And that's something I'm personally very passionate about trying to change that, that uh, narrative around, but what do you, let's see, what's my question about this, except for, I like that you brought it up. Oh, what do you well, think- I'll give you a great example. <laughs> uh, so you, br- you, um, you bring up, um, intergenerational and it just triggered on, um, Oh, I, I lost my thought. Uh, but it was something on TikTok that uh, people, I, I, that's one of my social loves. I just go on TikTok and scroll through, but uh, I lost my thought. I was listening too actively to you. It'll pop back in my head in a minute. Thanks for, thanks for actively listening. That's fine. I lose my, I'll just start talking sometimes. I'm like, there wasn't really a question, but I just yeah. really feel passionate about this thing. Um, what do you think about this kind of along oh, that? Oh, go bring it in. It's, there's this, there's this trend on TikTok about cooking dinners. 
And so there's, I, I mean, just seriously, video after video after video after video after message of women going, planning dinner for the rest of my life is too stressful. I can't do it. And Yikes. so it's, I find that to be really interesting that the message that they're putting out, first of all, the message that they're getting as women is that they have to be the one to plan the dinners every single night for the rest of their family's general generational life. But also the message that they're putting out to the, to the universe is that just planning meals or cooking meals is so stressful. So they're not doing it. So there's more, more and more people are not cooking their dinners. And I got into some dialogue around people that they, they learned that from their mother or their father, you know, that dinners are stressful. So it's something as simple as, as the, the family mealtime is becoming identified as stressful only because we were taught that. That was mm. my point. <laughs> oh, it's a great point. And it's, I mean, it's so interesting when it comes up around things that we have to do, like we have to eat. Right. Um, and to have that be, oh, that makes me stressed. Even just thinking about people being stressed about it. I can <laughs> feel it in my own body. I'm like, oh, those poor people. Um, to, to, to think about having to do anything for the, the rest of your life is very intense. Um, but what do you, I don't know if I have anything else to add to that, except for it is really, really interesting that we look at nourishment and taking in food as another thing to check off of our list. And I was working with the client yesterday talking about how being a mother and having to do these motherhood duties have also just become, you know, not just for her, we were talking more globally, kind of a thing that we just check off, like do the bath time and do the bottle. And I think a way that we look at life as Westerners has really become this sort of checklist. And that includes our meals and even like our bath and shower time. And it's um, like, how do we get as much in so that we can be productive? And I feel like that, just that whole mindset leads leads to so much stress in our lives because there's, we're never going to be done checking things off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have a tool that we, we actually talk about this in time management in the smart club, but, uh, we have a tool that we do not endorse to do lists. Mm. We endorse, uh, done lists. And now I'm not saying that I certainly write things down that I need to get done throughout a day. Um, to make sure that I am being responsible and accountable to other people and, and that type of thing. But when it comes for myself, a lot of times people will, uh, they feel so good. And I know if you have a chat or a forum, people are going to be like, no, I love my to-do list because I write things down and then I cross them off. Well, then actually create a done list hmm. and then post that publicly. That's what you should have on the counter. That's what you should have in the fridge is, be- is all the things you got done in the day. And sometimes it's you know, especially with being quarantined so much, sometimes it's just brushing your teeth. You know, you can be proud of and putting it on a done list. And everyone in your household can be on a can have a done list. Um, now, if you're going to use a to-do list, that should be something that is in a closed notebook, in a drawer, because otherwise the to-do list, because as you said, there's we're never going to get things done because first of all, our day starts over and there's still more things to do because we're, we're, we're living, you know, that's just, that's just a life. So it's switching that narrative or switching that perspective about going from the to-do list to a done list will actually trigger your stress response far less hmm. than just I love that. To-do list. 
That's smart. I'm going to start hiding my to-do list. I love to, I learned a piece of information that I've probably shared before on this podcast where women overestimate what we can do in a day and underestimate what we can do in 30 days. And I just having that in the back of my head has really helped me a lot with, you know, if I have an outrageous to-do list, I'm like, let's not try to do all of this today. Let's pick two things for today. What are my priorities? And then just think about the next month of where do the things plug in? And that's been something that's been personally helpful for me just to have that perspective. You know, a lot of times people find it stressful to identify their priorities. It's amazing as I've worked in this industry for 30 plus years, how, uh, how broken down. And by that, I mean, how far into the roots or to the, to the basic level, foundational level of a stress trigger people can get to. And so when you say things like, yeah, well, I just, then I prioritize. I cannot tell you how many times I come across business managers or leaders or owners or, or um, just people wanting to take more control of their productivity, no matter what they do. And that's where they get paralyzed Mm -hmm. is in picking what is the priority. I could see that. So one of the things that I talk a lot about is to have two different ma- metrics or uh, filters in order to think of your priority. So for example, the Eisenhower matrix uh, is very popular. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it, the Eisenhower matrix, it's how President Eisenhower ran the, um, the country when he was president. And then Covey coined it again in his seven habits of highly successful people. And so, but it's originally called the Eisenhower matrix. And so it, it breaks tasks down into urgent and important, which is, which is fine. Those are two great quantifiers on how you might be able to prioritize something. But when you are in, when you see a huge to-do list, like a massive to-do list, and you're trying to narrow it down to just your priorities, um, we talk more about energy and effort. Hmm. How much energy is this going to take from me? for my family, for my business, for my focus versus, um, I'm sorry, energy, effort, energy slash effort and impact. So think of it as energy and effort, right? How much energy is going to take? How much effort am I going to have to get dressed? And I don't have the effort today. Um, And then based on impact. So is this, how big of an impact is this going to have on things? And those are two great, those those filters or quantifiers will really help people identify priorities um, when you have that very long to-do lists. I love that. That's so, that's helpful for me personally um, with my own business. And I think probably for a lot of people, even if they maybe aren't in the business sphere to even just look at, you know, what do I need to do today? And and what is the impact going to be for me in my personal life, from my family life, for anyone who's listening, who maybe isn't in the corporate world or isn't running a business, but maybe who's running a household. Yeah, exactly. Great questions to ask. I really love that breakdown instead of just saying priority. Cause I, I honestly, when you were talking about how that is stressful for people, I was thinking, you know, that's a main reason why I like to have coaches because I like for other people to help me pick out. These are going to be the priorities in your business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I love that method. Yeah. So I'm certainly not discounting the the household. We work a lot with moms and dads uh, that are heads of household. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking, do you tap, you know, do I have the energy 
And how much effort is it going to take me to do all the laundry? And what kind of mm -hmm. impact is that going to have on my family? Right? So the impact is, well, they have no clothes to wear. So obviously it's going to have a big impact or everyone has plenty of clothes to wear. And I just don't have the energy and effort today to, to deal with that because I have to go to the grocery store and plan dinner and I have to get Johnny over here and I have all these other things to do. So laundry is not a priority, you know? So really focusing on the energy slash effort and the impact that it has, and that could be even in your intimacy, mm. you know, your, your relationships, um, how much energy do you have to dress up and feel sexy? And what kind of impact are you, is that going to have on your relationship? Well, I've been married 30 years. That might, you know, that, that might not have the kind of impact I'm looking for, but maybe, you know, sitting and cuddling um, and allowing my husband to rest, you know, that we're resting together and we're having dialogue together and we're, you know, laughing together. That might have the impact I'm looking for. So really it works in almost every situation. I love those examples you provided. It really does. Um, it's something I wrote down. That's a great way to look at things that we need to do, get done. And I'd love to hear your take as well, just on resilience building. This is something I care a lot about, something I work with frequently. Maybe can you even share like your definition of resilience or a working definition you like to use and just talk a little bit more about how that factors into your work and why it's important. So uh, I keep a very, uh, again, we're all about simple at JB okay. Partners. So resilience is all about your ability to generate grit and gumption. That's it. That's I love that. It's your ability to generate grit and gumption. And sometimes in moments, we, our ability is greater than others. Um, sometimes our, and we define grit as your ability to, uh, we say, you know, uh, stick your hooker, hooker heels in the sand and move forward. Um, uh, and uh, gumption is your ability to uh, generate courage. You know, it's that, it's almost, so the grit is the determination and the gumption is the courage. And so that's what we focus on. And People, I've suffered, we all have, you know, I've, I've lived a life. And so I've, I've had traumas in my life. Luckily, um, you know, I grew up in a loving household and a supportive household. So when I've gone through those traumas, I, I have had a network of, of resources and, and loving arms to wrap around me, but experiencing death and health issues and loss and, and that type of thing to me personally, which is what has got me started uh, focusing on stress management and, and resilience at, at such a young age in high school and uh, has carried me through all this time. So um, yeah, so that's how we, that's how we define resilience and, and kind of where it comes from. And, and a lot of times I think that um, people, resilience stems from trauma and trauma doesn't have to be gory and it doesn't have to be bloody or it doesn't have to be messy. It just needs to be personal. Mm, that's so true. I think there is a lot of uh, misconception about what, what trauma is. And mm -hmm. um, I really think it is important to acknowledge that most of us have been through some kind. And, and sometimes that even just looks like those subtle messages that we get maybe in our own household over time that we take on to be true. Just like we were talking about earlier, that maybe 
they aren't really true to us as we become adults in the world. And, and so there's that little bit of a discrepancy or maybe a big discrepancy we have to work through. And, and that in itself can be quite traumatic. Um, if we're trying to live a life that's different than what we've believed our entire lives, there's a separation that takes place that I think can be really challenging for people. Absolutely. Very much so. One of the places that we start with people when it comes to resilience is um, I have very specific, people might call them mantras or affirmations, quotes, whatever, but um, how you were raised is not how you have to live. Mm, it's a great and one. So I, I say that daily to clients, to people, because it is how you were raised is not how you have to live, whether that's with religion and politics, or if you were raised in one gender, now you want to be in another gender. It can go from one, you know, from the, from the cultural, moral, ethical boundaries of a family to the physical transformations of how we perceive our pronouns. I mean, just really the gamut of different things. And so when you think about that, how you're raised is not how you have to live. How would you choose to live today? And then when people really explore how they want to answer that question, it is transformative. Um, it, it gives them no boundaries, right? They get mm -hmm. to start over. They get to define for themselves. Is that in itself stressful for people? Have you found to have that level of like freedom in their creation? Um, you, you know, yes. Uh, so then we, we just breathe through it. We break that, we break that question down into, okay, just what is, what's a small thing I've, mm -hmm. I've had people start with, well, I would, um, I would live a sober life. I've heard that. Uh, and sober meaning get rid of a drug of choice, whether it could be caffeine, could be just something toxic out of their life. Um, almost to just drink water. Okay. You know, or drink more soda because you want to, you know, you weren't allowed to drink soda as you were raised or you weren't allowed to have sugar or you weren't, you weren't allowed to sleep in on Sundays. So it's about picking something that is non-threatening to start with. Um, and, and then building a framework for a story that they can then start to tell themselves. That's beautiful. So great. I love how systematic you are in your approach. It's, it's really speaks to, speaks to me. Yeah, I, everything I feel, if people are really going to follow, how do I say this? If people are going to really delve into stress management, their perception is that stress management is an external something, right? Mm -hmm. And so most people are looking for pills, uh, solutions. They want to be able to buy something for a solution. So even though I know that it's not true when it comes to stress management, at least people feel comfortable taking their first foot with us in our, in our company and in our approach, because they feel that there's a solid foundation when it comes to stress management and resilience training, because we do have systems programs, you know, the, the, there's, there is a process. Here's your one, here's your two, here's your three. Here's your question, answer that question first. And it, and it allows them to move more, uh, I, I hate the word to move forward, but just to move around. Mm. 
That's a great distinction. And I think you're absolutely right. I mean, our cognitive brains love those systems laid out for us. They love the one, two, three. And it, I think it helps to feel safe too, safety to just know like, oh, here's where I am. And here's this, this um, system set up for me. So now I know where I'm going. It does allow for movement. And I love that you specified move around versus simply moving forward. That's a really yeah. nice distinction. I, I try not to say moving forward uh, because it's, it's not true. I, you know, there is no one forward. They're just mm-hmm. isn't. So I try to, I, I, I use move around. I like you know. it. And that's exactly moving around is it still defines success. Yeah, absolutely. We're no longer standing still or doing the same thing that we've always done. Absolutely. And you know, when people talk about, Ooh, reaching the glass ceiling or that's moving up, that's not moving forward. I don't know. I, to me, moving down, how come down is a negative? Hmm. Um, you know, what if we want to go to Australia, you got to go down. I'm like, if you want to lose weight, scales got to go down. I mean, there are things that you want to move down your blood pressure, your, your, some of your intakes, your, you know, there are lots of, so are this, this connotation that certain movements are positive and certain movements are negative. To me, it's just, it's folly. It's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. And I love, I love that you're addressing it. Um, gosh, I have quite a few more questions for you. I'm like, what are the best ones that I want to ask here? I guess uh, <laughs> I know. It's the first I... you have to ask those questions and what will be the impact <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> I know. I'm curious about just co- kind of coming back to the topic of resilience. If there's any particular ways or methods, and I know you have a, a you know complete system and method as, as we were talking about, but just when we talk about being able to build resilience, because I think this can be a misconception about resilience too, is that it's something like we either have that grit and determination or we don't. And if we haven't gone through hardship, we just don't have it. Like, and, and I don't think that's true at all. It's not true. And, and, you know, I know there's certainly ways to build resilience within the nervous system, which is a lot of the work that I do, but I'm curious from your perspective, what are some good ways to build resilience or ways that you've seen beneficial for yourself or your clients? So one of the things that we, we always, I'm a very strong CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy mm-hmm. approach to things. And considering that stress is an internal biological process, right? It's guarded by the eye. I looked at your website. You've got some great graphics. I love your graphics. The sympathetic nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system. It's 220 different hormones, cortisol, endocrine, right? We've got all these different things. So in my approach to stress management, I talk to people about brain function, brain management. You know, it's not necessarily always about meditation or, or increased water, deep breathing. I want to give them the scientific facts of how that is changing you bio, biologically. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to resilience, uh, I always talk to people about, first of all, okay, restate your question because I'm either going to go in one or two directions. Sure. Where do start with resilience. Just how to, um, some of your favorite ways to build it or ways that you found helpful to build it. Uh, so a lot of times people, and I agree with you, I think people don't recognize the great gumption that they do have because they have a tendency to compare their emotional trauma or what they define as their hardships to other people's hardships. And then they don't, they're like, oh, well, some people have it so much worse than I am. You know, I'm, Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I live in the suburbs. I've got, I went to great schools. I've got my, you know, and then, so they poo poo their own resilience, which then that 
traps them into thinking, I don't have any resilience. So when they are feeling stressed or stuck or in places where they feel like they can't move around, um, they think that they don't have the resilience. So where, where I begin is I have people start doing things physically. And as a, a doctor of physical therapy, I'm sure, you know, having them use different sides of their brain, if they're right-handed, I have them brush their teeth with their left hand for a couple of days in a row. I have them do a lot of different things with their non-dominant hand. I have them um, uh, stand on one foot on a BOSU ball or uh, you know something to kind of throw them just a little bit off balance if they go to the gym or stand on pillows if they're at home or something like that to try and start changing their definition of what they think is resilience because resilience really is the ability to have grit and gumption through discomfort. Mm -hmm. So think about that. So when you put to identify that, yes, even though you're, you're putting your body in these very minor uncomfortable situations, you, you still are able to do it. And then we start building from there, going more into the mental, emotional type resilience because so that they have, well, remember when you started the BOSU ball and, mm-hmm. and on your left leg and you thought you were going to fall, but you did it and you were able to hold yourself up. You know, we're just going to now do that on the, in, on the inside. Let's just do that on the inside now. That's great. Yeah. It's like a nice baseline for people and a way to build that self-efficacy too. Of Well, you did this. And so look how you succeeded. Mm-hmm. I love that too. I work a lot with the recovery community and I'll, I'll hear this frequently of people that are in maybe early sobriety or like someone the other day was like, it's I'm three days in, when does it get easier? And I'm like, man, it's probably, it might not get easier for a little while, but there's gotta be a, a, some level of knowing that you can get through being uncomfortable. And I think Anytime we're adapting a new behavior, someone was posting about caffeine withdrawal the other day. And I'm like, man, it's probably going to be hard for me. It would be hard. I'll say that. And so I think being able to know that we can partner and support ourselves, like through some of that, those uncomfortable bits, I think is that's a, such a great way to start is by using the, the physical body. I like that a lot. Well, and to your point, to those people who are talking about getting withdrawal, again, from caffeine or sugar or whatever, the body goes through physical and physiological withdrawals first. So they really are uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. They, are, they really are. So the when you start with resilience before, I we work... We work from the outside in so that we can find get results from the inside out. If mm. that makes sense, right? It does. Because people identify stress, they identify things on the outside much easier than they can on the inside. And so, so I found over the years as a coach and and um, and as an educational psychologist and teacher and just all oh, my different positions, uh, if you jump in to the inside right away, that can be kind of threatening for many people. They're not ready to go there. It's true. So I've tried taking baby steps from the inside and it's still, that can be still way too scary. So that's why I, our approach is let's start thinking of things externally first. So you're, let's put your body in discomfort. See how you can go run a mile. See how hard that is. You're out of breath. You didn't die, right? You. Withdraw caffeine, didn't, you survived, good for you, right? And then we eventually get closer and closer and closer to the root causes of the internal. 
Yeah, so. I love that. It's so different than how I work because I really work inside out and there is a lot of titration and very, very slow movements. I like to start with, just notice what happens in your body when you feel kind of pleasant. And even that it's, it can be very daunting and really scary. So I see so much value in the approach that you're describing and then like all the systems you have in place. That's why I wanted to talk to you. I was looking through your website. I don't even know how I found you. And I was like, oh, I love what they're doing. I want to, I wonder if she'll come on and talk to me. Of course, absolutely. One of the things, so I, I just want to throw this out there. You know, we, we, I talk a lot about living in the neutral Hmm. that because so often people are just used to opposites, right? Yeah. Hot, cold, black, white, negative, positive. But really when we live in the neutral, when we, when we try to think in the neutral, act in the neutral, um, the neutral is where peace is. You know, I tell mm-hmm. people, think of, a, think of an angry ocean, think of a negative ocean. What does it look like? And I have it described to me. And a lot of times it's dark clouds, but it's waves crashing and under strong undertone. And I'm like, okay, now think about the most happiest, joyful, you know, ocean you can think of. And they still say waves crashing, strong undertow, but blue skies. Mm. I'm like, okay. So the negative and positive emotions are still both very intense. The neutral, if you saw something, if you saw a neutral ocean, what would it look like? And a lot of times they describe peace, mm-hmm. you know? And so I said, okay, well, that's where you're going to find peace is not in the positive. Peace is not in happiness. Peace is in the neutral. And so if you can be in the neutral for just a few moments, yeah. a few seconds, that sometimes is the is the right place for people to be than to be in the positive or the negative. I think it's such a great place to explore, you know, what does that even feel like to be okay? Cause you know, a lot of times when, when we are kind of trying to explore some of the internal realm, it's like, well, if there's nothing really strong calling out to us, it can be really difficult to identify what's happening. But I think when we can just be with that, yeah, sense of okayness, or this is what I feel like when I'm normal, it really helps to give us that baseline of, oh, like I, I do feel okay. Things are neutral. Things are, you know, quote unquote normal for lack of a better word. I think I like neutral better. It's yeah, it's wonderful. It's true. It's true. And that's really where we go through life a lot, or, or hopefully we could aspire mm-hmm. to is in mm-hmm. a place of, of peace. Yeah. I, I, at least in my experience and talking to people, they seem to just either be, oh, I'm sad and depressed or, oh, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. Or at least they're sad and they're depressed and they're looking for happy. They're looking for joy and passion. And, you know, I was like, okay, all right. There's a lot of emotions though. In between those, can we explore those emotions? There was a study done that most people can only um, identify six words that describe emotions for themselves. That makes sense. You know, so I talk a lot about, okay, well, here's, here's a list of 10 words to describe emotions. If we can give you more words to describe how you feel and what you're going through, that's power. Yeah, That's where you get help. That's where you can Google more. That's where you can find more information. And then when we get to 10, then sometimes we go to 12, just identify 12 words to describe how you're feeling or thinking. Um, and, and that helps them expand, in my view, that helps them expand their, their presence. Whether, because sometimes it, I lost my mom in October and trust me, I've had very negative moments. I've had very mm. negative days and weeks. Um, 
I, I also, my daughter just got engaged two weeks ago and we're starting to look at wedding venues. And so I have been joyful and happy. But my goal since I lost my mom is not to be happy. My goal is just to find, is to be in the neutral. Mm-hmm. If I can be in the neutral, that's, that's a win. That's a success for right now, you know? Yeah. So, and I think, and, and this, I think, leads into deeper, darker conversations of burnout, suicide, self-harm, self-loathing, um, you know, and how people utilize drugs and alcohol or substance abuse to as a, as coping. Uh, my mom is here. <laughs> I was just thinking that. I was like, it's your mom. The lights for anyone just listening, the lights just went off and on. Yes, the I lights just was, thought that. Oh my God, I'm your here. Wow. <sighs> That's never done that. Anyway, wow. thanks mom. Thanks mom. Um, that, uh, yep, don't know. It's all gone. <laughs> <laughs> I like where you were going though with the, just heading into, it does bring oh, you yes. towards like some, some of the darker topics and, um, yeah, because I, well, what I was going to say is, you know, when some people are feeling so negative and such despair, when we talk about being positive and happy and joyful, you know, when you put two, when you put two batteries together, they'll spin and they'll never touch when you put the negative and the positive together, because it's so polarizing. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's why people are like, I can't even think about that right now. I can't even think about not being stressed. Can't think about not I can't think about having gumption. Um, I joined Weight Watchers because over the last 18, two years of taking care of my aging mother, and um, I've definitely put on weight, not taking care of myself. And uh, so, you know, right now losing 40 pounds seems like, oh my gosh, so daunting, you know, so daunting. And yet I don't need to think about that number. I just need to think about the number one mm-hmm. because that's, that's the number in the neutral. That's, that's my peace number. That's my, it's like, okay, I focus on the one. Yeah. And I wish more people could think like that. Yeah. Cause it does give you a sense of peace and it's not about, again, like we've talked about earlier, that thing of I've got to cook dinner for the rest of my life for my family. Like that's so daunting instead of, Hey, how can I involve my kids maybe in cooking dinner with me tonight? Or what's dinner look like for this week? Um, Yeah. Or just what are my tools and resources? Yeah. About planning dinner, or what if I just start? I'm going to plan dinner on Mondays. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, people forget that they can redefine. Yeah, it's true. It's you know, true. They, they, they really, in my opinion, they they really do. And and it's not even about having healthy dinners. Uh, I'm, you know, you being in the the health and wellness space for sure. You know, it's about how we eat the totality of our day or the totality of our week. And so if dinner is not your big thing, have good balanced breakfasts, you know, cook the eggs and the bacon and the, you know, fruit and the add veggies and, you know, that kind of stuff and leave lunch and have cereal for dinner every night. Why can't we have an upside down? Why can't we eat it upside down? So redefining and reframing, it's yeah. a powerful tool for people. It really they, is. If they use it creates a lot more freedom, I think too, of, and brings us back to, again, a place where we can really make choices of, oh, how do I want to live my life now? Yeah. Maybe tonight I don't even want to eat dinner. Like, am I yeah. eating? Cause I, yeah, I'm not even yeah. hungry. Like what yes, am I doing? Convention says it's five 30 or six o'clock and you're supposed to eat dinner and you know, 
Yeah, that's yeah. Like how I was raised. That's not yeah. how I live. Um, but it was certainly how I was raised. And you had a veggie and a starch and, you know, a big glass of milk and blah, blah, blah. And I've had to really rethink, you know, my, my eating and, and yeah. what that means for myself and my family. Well, we used to have that old food pyramid that was like full yeah. of just ate a ton of bread. And like, I think if I, I ate that way. those days. <laughs> I would never really? like. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think my digestion could handle it. I don't feel like I'd poop for weeks if I just ate that much bread. My, I daughter, and I, get sluggish. my daughter and I went to a wedding venue uh, this week to, to look at one um, for her wedding. And they started us with these po- warm popovers with this um, uh, like um, almost brie butter. And mm. that was our lunch. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. That's okay. Uh, for the next couple of days, I'm just going to have lots of veggies, you know, and yeah, especially if someone has hand cooked some delicacy and has given oh. it to you. I mean, you have to eat that. Oh, so I would want to eat that. Let me say that oh. other people, you don't have to eat that. Of course. Um, Jen, I do have more questions for you, but we're running low on time. Um, I have a big question. I'm just going to ask it and, and um, we'll try to keep it to a five minute answer. We'll see how that goes. Okay. Whenever I talk to people about stress, I always like to ask this question of like, why is stress such a huge problem in the Western world? And I know I come from a place of privilege when I say this of like, a lot of us have our survival needs met. And I know not everyone does. And I know I live in my neighborhood where there's a a lot, there's a large homeless population. And I see everyday people that, that don't have all their needs met, but I, there is a great percentage of us that do have most of our survival needs met yet. We are incredibly stressed out. Um, like why is this part of our culture? I have, I have a very simple answer from my perspective and I believe and that is because it is taught. Mm. It is taught. It is taught from the very, uh, as, as young as we can be as children, um, our parents, our teachers are, oh, we, they, people throw this word around like, I'm so stressed out. I'm so stressed. And this is stressful. And, and we plant these seeds, right? So we, so we, when we get to neuro, you know, if talking about neurolinguistics and planting the seed and doing all this kind of thing, uh, you know, uh, conversations about the unconscious mind and the things that we pick up and that kind of stuff. So not only is it unconscious, it is completely conscious and we don't role model solutions. Hmm. That's the so big true. Thing. You know, mm-hmm. so think about um, like two, mom and dad fighting. Mom and dad are having a fight. Kids see the fight. They also see mom and dad make, you know, uh, maybe they don't see them say they're sorry or they don't see the, the solution in front of them, right? But they at least see mommy and daddy for the most part being okay again, right? So they, they have a, a uh, they know that that's going to be fine. And, but when it comes to stress, we don't teach coping methods. We only teach the stress. So true. And if we are teaching coping methods, it's alcohol, it's recreational drugs, it's overexertion, like going to the gym too much, which Mm -hmm. means you're still away from the family. Um, you know, 
anything to an extent is not a healthy coping method for stress management because the body's goal is to be balanced. The body's mm-hmm. goal is to have balance, be balanced from muscular to skeletal, to chemical, to biological, to physiological, to all of these things. And the stress response throws us off balance. And so the coping methods that most people teach their children are just coping methods that continue to reinforce out of balance. Mm -hmm. And there's no course in stress management. And it's a taboo in in our Western culture. It is such a taboo. It is a common word, but talking about your inability to manage your stress is the taboo. It's almost seen as, oh, you're stressed. Look at them go. Right. Yeah. It's like an accolade. accolade. A real problem with. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, for me, it's, it's, we are, it's, it's, it's taught stress is taught and we plant the seeds of our children. And then those children have grown up. I mean, it's shocking to me that the, the, the term stress, stress to the max or stressed out wasn't even identified until the nineties. Interesting. Wasn't until the 1990s that talking that using the word stressed was a way to describe feeling or emotion. Hmm. Can we blame MTV? Yeah, I know. Seriously, <laughs> um, stress to the max. Uh, right? like yeah, 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 for sure. That's like a video. Yeah, absolutely. So that's why if it. it drives me crazy that, I mean, this, this does stress me out. Excuse me. No, it doesn't stress me out. It, the word's befuddled. It really Mm -hmm. befuddles me how, how people could not want stress management programs in schools for kids or not or parents not to seek out stress management programs or webinars and that it just, it, it befuddles me. Yeah, it is. It's odd. That yeah. it's, not, it's not more prioritized. It's not taught from a young age. It's not the, the norm in, in companies. I mean, I've, I do like stress um, seminars sometimes for companies and I've had quite a few that are like, Oh, this is great, but we just don't have room in the budget. I'm like, my price is really reasonable. Like you're, you told me how stressed out your people are and they're quitting. Yeah. Like, if it's not me, make time, prioritize this, you know, with, with someone. Yeah. So uh, if you look on our website, we have a whole, we have a whole section of our website dedicated to workplace stress and those businesses that say they don't have it in their budget are, don't know how to calculate out. Mm-hmm because all they need to do is go to their HR department and calculate out their missed work days and take 90% of those missed work days. So they're paying for, you know, a a full company of employees because of vacation benefits or sick days and times all the people that are not there. I mean, it just, it it makes no sense to me. $450 billion a year just in the U.S. alone 
is lost due to stress in our American organizations. 450 billion. It's crazy. On average, oh, don't get me. See, now that now you opened a Pandora's box for me. We're getting the cane out. We're playing the music. Um, uh, but I, I loved your answer to that question because it was really, it was simple and concise, but so very true. Um, and so I think that's a, a really wonderful invitation for all of us to look at, you know, how are we maybe teaching our kids or things like that, but also how were we taught? How has that affected us? How are we living out those things that maybe are no longer true for us? Um, and unfortunately I do have to close the interviews because I have another, I have another appointment. I have a therapy appointment. So I'm super pumped. I love seeing my therapist. Um, that is great. Well, oh, I'd yeah. love to come back at some point and we can. Yeah. I'd love to have you back. But this was wonderful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being here, Jen. And um, your website and some more information on the Smart Club, which you can find information about on Jen's website. She's got a really helpful um, chat feature on there. So I'll link all of that in the show notes and you can go on and, and reach out to her. She was really quick to respond to me. So I know she's quite responsive and um, right. so please follow up with her. It's yes, a really wonderful work that you're doing. Thank you so much for coming on to talk to me today. Thank you. It was great. And thank you for the work you do. Thanks, Jen. Yeah.